photographs trying to explain what this was all about and how it's blown his mind away. I was not in the greatest of uh, shape, you know, as far as, like, uh, my career was concerned. When I, I was uh, delightful to hear that I was going to go do anything, anywhere. And I really appreciate Francis Wright. Even though he does drop it on you sometimes, and it does take you sometimes, an idiot like me, a whole day to learn it. Hey, why did you say that to him? Antichrist. You got me in a vendetta kind of mood. You tell the angels in heaven you've never seen an evil so singularly personified as you did in the face of the man who killed you. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as counsel for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Well, I think Harry would be very disappointed feeling that we're right back where we started, huh? Let her go. You don't need her. You have the money. Take it and walk.
Good evening. I am your host, Dr. Zeus of the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. We're going to do this the right way because, well, I don't just do, I don't just do podcasts, special ones especially, about anybody. And those clips that I just played you and I let them just play. Oh, here's a good one. He did a commercial. Draw to go away to disappear. That's how the dictionary defines retirement. Time to redefine. Your generation is definitely not headed for bingo night. In fact, you could write a book about how you're going to turn retirement upside down. The best book on retirement is the one you'll write. (laughs) Of course. Here we go. To a retirement defined by your dreams. And that's Dennis Hopper. And that was recorded a few years ago before he died. Dennis the Menace, some people called him. Born today, 86 years ago. Why are we talking about him? Well, as a wise man once told me, always give your audience a promise. So I, the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, give you a promise for entertaining podcasts about film and music. Why are we talking about someone who died in 2010? Because this guy, back up, was a motherfucker. This guy had tackled it all. I mean, you heard him talk about how he wasn't in the best shape to do Apocalypse Now. This man was known for the counterculture Pushing the envelope, such as in Blue Velvet. Easy Rider, where he was not only the actor, the writer, but the director. And then does a, vo- uh, does a reading for the gorillas. Huh. I'm talking about Dennis Hopper. Born May 17th, 1936 in Dodge City, Can- uh, is it Kansas? Yeah. No, Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. Kansas, yep. Uh, died May 29th, 2010 at the age of 74. That's young. In Los Angeles, California. Resting place. Go visit him. I know that a friend of this show has. Go visit him. Um, I'm going to tell you where it is. Let's see. Jesus Nazareno Cemetery. Jesus Nazareno Cemetery, Ranchos de Taos, New Mexico. He was a part of the actor's studio. He was an actor. He's a filmmaker. He was a photographer. He was a painter. He hung out with Andy Warhol. He had his picture taken by Andy Warhol. Everything that we take for granted in popular culture, Dennis Hopper did it first. He's okay. Let's start off. He smoked it. He fucked it. He did it. He went to rehab for it. He did a movie about it. He did 10 documentaries. He was married so many times and still managed to wow all of you as he wowed me. And he had that voice 
whenever, even a commercial, if you were in a hospital and you had your eyes closed and you're on morphine or whatever, and you heard that voice, ah, that's Dennis Hopper. You knew because he had the distinct voice. He had that cadence. <sighs> and any any ruffled feathers. Those those are the memorable ones. He got an Oscar nomination for Hoosiers. And then um, you know, he did television. Oh god, he was in Super Mario Brothers. He was in Speed. He was in Waterworld. He was on a short-lived television show called Crash right before he died. Ah, see, I didn't know this. Hopper was reported to have an uncredited role in Johnny Guitar in 1954, but has stated that he was not in Hollywood when the film was made. Ah. Hopper made his debut on film in two roles with James Dean. First in Rebel Without a Cause and second in Giant. Dean's death in a car accident in September 1955 affected the young Hopper deeply. And it was shortly afterwards that he got into a confrontation with veteran director Henry Hathaway on the film From Hell to Texas. Hopper forced Hathaway to shoot more than 80 takes of scene several days before he acquit, uh, to Hathaway's direction. After filming was finally completed, Hathaway allegedly told Hopper that his career in Hollywood was finished. Fuck you. <laughs> Ah, I love these. Uh, in 1994, he told an interviewer credited John Wayne with saving his career as Hopper acknowledged that because of his insolent behavior, he could not find work in Hollywood for seven years. Hopper stated that because he was the son-in-law of actress Margaret Sullivan, a friend of John Wayne, Wayne hired Hopper in the role of the sons of Katie Elder and also directed by Hathaway, which enabled Hopper to restart his film career. Hopper acted in another John Wayne film, True Grit, and during its production, he became well acquainted with Wayne in both of the films with Wayne. Hopper's character is killed in the presence of Wayne's character, to whom he utters his dying words. Hopper had supporting roles in Cool Hand Luke. That's right. In 1968, Hopper teamed with Peter Fonda, Terry Southern, and Jack Nicholson to make Easy Rider, which premiered in July of 1969. So was the tail end of the the 60s were about to end. What happens? This is before Woodstock. The counterculture has their movie, Easy Rider. And then they have another movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. This was New Hollywood. And it was ever present at the 1970 Academy Awards. Old Hollywood, John Wayne wins an Oscar for True Grit. New Hollywood being um, Midnight Cowboy wins Best Picture. Nominated also Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Easy Rider. Okay. So Dennis Hopper was the counterculture. He helped facilitate it. And whenever you you want to mention someone cool, you want to mention someone slightly unhinged you mentioned Dennis Hopper Dennis Hopper took it there he was legendary he was also a photographer 
He had several artistic pursuits beyond film. He was a prolific uh, photographer, painter, and sculptor. Hopper's fascination with art began with painting lessons at the Nelson Atkins Museum while still a child in Kansas City, Missouri. Early in his career, he painted and wrote poetry. Though many of his works were destroyed in the 1961 Bel Air Fire, which burned hundreds of homes, including his and his wife's, on the Stone Canyon Road in Bel Air, his painting style ranges from abstract impressionism to photorealism and often includes references to his cinematic work and to other artists. See, he was ostracized by Hollywood. Oh, I didn't know this. During his being in exile, his period, he created the cover art for Ike and Tina Turner's album, River Deep Mountain High. Okay. Hung out with uh, Andy Warhol, of course. Ah. Pop art. There we go. One of the first uh, artworks Hopper owned was an early print of Andy Warhol's Campbell's Soup Cans, bought for $75. Hopper also once owned Warhol's Mao, which he shot one evening in a fit of paranoia, the two bullet holes possibly adding to the print's value. The print sold at Christie's New York for over $302 million in January of 2011. The proceeds of the two-day sale of some 300 pieces from Hopper's collection at Christie's went to his four children. Yeah. We're not going to talk about the personal life. We're not going to talk about the divorces. What we are going to talk about is the man. I mean, his filmography, (laughs) his filmography is, is legendary. Okay. And Blue Velvet is one of those controversial moments, as is True Romance, where, I mean, he get, he gets beat the fuck out of. In 1971, he did The American Dreamer, the Dennis Hopper documentary. What's the difference between uh, the two on the bikes and the two in the trunk? Uh, there's a revolution, they say. Uh, the blacks have been made criminals, the browns have been made criminals. So that's Dennis Hopper talking about what labels society or society labels him, labels anyone who's outside of the the abstract, outside of society. Dennis Hopper really helped to give birth to that. There weren't a lot of actors like him. He would go out on that limb and he would just sit there and he would sneer and he would snarl and he was Dennis the Menace. He was Dennis the Menace. Just watching him was always interesting. And then I remember he was on The View. I'll never forget this. And sometimes a generation can change in an instance. Okay. And I remember, I don't think I have the clip. But I remember he was on The View and he talked about he had always voted Republican. And then he met, at the time, Senator Barack Obama. And he voted for Barack Obama because uh, Barack's mother was from Wichita. 
Wichita, Kansas. And Dennis Hopper was born in Kansas. So we got to meet him. So that that swayed his vote right there. Guilty by association. <laughs> um, I want to turn your attention to this is uh, bittersweet. This is Dennis Hopper's last appearance. And it was uh, to receive his star on the Walk of Fame. And it was bittersweet because that was on March 26, 2010. I remember seeing the pictures. Dennis Hopper looked very frail. And then on May 29th, 2010, he died as a result of complications from prostate cancer. So we have to honor the man, the man from Easy Rider, the man from Hoosiers, who really did it all. In those 74 years, he did it all. At that particular time, with the hippies and all, we had our own costumes, our own clothes, we had our own art, we had our own poetry, we had our own music, 
weeks. What lifestyle? We, what didn't we have in there? What am I missing? We had our own plays. We didn't have our own movie. There was an audience out there that had never had never really been addressed, you know, which was the young audience, and they just poured to the theaters to see it. We made uh, all of our money back in one theater in New York the first week. I don't think I set out to make our own movie. I was just there at that moment, and I knew this audience existed. This movie went in and broke barriers that people were not ready to watch. Jack Nicholson was everybody's son. When he was killed, it was like killing your own child. Because many people said, well, why didn't you use a black in that part, or why didn't you use a Chicano, or why didn't, you know? And uh, I said, no, I, I wanted them to, you know, the people who were causing me problems were not those people. It was the others. And I said, what do you mean? I said, well, check, check it out. Look out the window. Tell me we haven't blown it. Look out the window of your life. Look at it carefully. Look at this war. Look at these, this bigotry, this intolerance, and tell me we haven't blown it. We're messing with the environment. This is way back when people did not want to talk about that. We have blown this in a terrible way. And if we don't get it together, it's never going to come back. When I was putting together the story, this was the wrong area to touch. It was more important for us to touch our inner selves rather than our outer selves. And that is the late Peter Fonda and the late Dennis Hopper talking about Easy Rider. A lot of the people from Easy Rider are gone. Jack is still with us. This is Dennis Hopper talking to the AFI about Hoosiers, for which he received an Oscar nomination. I I I have a son that plays in the basketball uh, basketball team, and I'm the sort of town drunk. It's a very, very moving part. It's a part that I got nominated for an Academy Award for. Uh, The only time that I was ever nominated as an actor. It's about a coach who comes back to the small town who's been banned from basketball because he hit one of his players. They went uh, to the state championship in Indiana, which is a very big thing in high school, and they beat the the big professional, uh, the guys that were going to become professional uh, uh, basketball players. Big O, Oscar Robinson, who is a professional who played in the final game against them, said he came on the set while we were shooting and he said, in my professional career, every time we were like, you know, we had a, a big underdog against us, I always thought of these little white termites that were so small we couldn't even find them. They just ran all around us and whipped us. So I never forgot that game. I mean, Hoosiers had it. Uh, David Anspa the director, and uh, uh, Angelo Pisa wrote the screenplay, and they both went to the University of Indiana. Uh, they were both big fans of Bob Knight, who was the coach there, basketball coach there. And uh, this was a true story. This story, actually, James Dean played against this team, which was, uh, I found out in 1951. It's just inspirational, you know. I mean, I have so many coaches come to me and so many players and say, professional professional teams, that when they get down on the plane, the coach puts it in and they're all watching Hoosiers suddenly. So, uh, and it's the first time in my career because I play so many villains that uh, little kids came up to me and called me coach. <laughs> Gene Hackman is wonderful in that. And all the kids, none of the kids had ever acted before. So uh, Gene spent an awful lot of time with them worked hard with them but we'd sit over on the side and Gene would say to me 
This movie, what, what are we doing in this movie? How crazy is this? No basketball movie has ever made any money. It's never college, professional, nothing. And we're doing a high school basketball team? We should have our heads examined. And he said, why don't they shoot the money? Come over and shoot the money. They're always shooting those kids playing basketball. But he was very funny. And then he'd go and just work his, uh, work his buns off uh, helping him. That's Dennis Hopper talking to the American Film Institute about Hoosiers. Here is Hopper talking about that famous Mao print from Andy Warhol. Oh, I guess he doesn't talk about it. It's in Japanese. This is Hopper talking about Nicholas Ray, who directed him in Rebel Without a Cause and how they became friends. And he helped Nicholas Ray out as vice versa. Talk. Why do you do it? Why? Why? He was very 
first film, Ray forged his own distinct cinematic style. His camera was the nervous and stable observer, following the beautiful losers against the tapestry of a society that rejects them. also gave the actors the opportunity to interact with James. So you met James Dean, and you were cast in a non-speaking role, and you started working with Nicholas Ray. Was he a good director? Will his films be remembered? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Rebel Without a Cause certainly will be remembered. <clears throat> I had a very strange relationship with Nick Ray because I was uh, 18 years old. Natalie Wood and I were having an affair Nick Ray was also having an affair with Natalie Wood. Uh, so Nick and I got in a lot of fights over that, basically. And, and, and Jimmy Dean was such a powerful individual. He took over the whole movie, and uh, so he rehearsed everybody. He blocked the scenes primarily. He uh, improvised a lot of the scenes. And, and Nick allowed him and gave him the space to do that. And that's a good director, but at the time, I didn't know that. So I, I came out of it thinking that Jimmy Dean directed Here's a knife fight scene from Rebel. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. In which you're in the background. Oh, yeah. What are you crying? 
catches Jimmy and actually uh, actually clips him, and uh, and Nick sees that he's that he's that that he's been hit with that Jimmy's been hit with a knife, and he says, "Cut, cut, cut!" And Jimmy gets furious and grabs Nick and says, "Don't ever, ever say cut. Don't ever, ever say cut to me. I'll say cut if something's wrong. Don't you ever cut the scene." He really cut me, and like you know, this is part of the scene, and I want that reality. I was furious and walked off the set, and it took a while before we started shooting again. From that story, you could take the impression that if the actor is more important than the director, maybe that's why you got into trouble with directors. Well, you thought you knew more than they did. But if a director is saying cut because he thinks something's wrong with the actor because the actor is having a real response and has been hurt or whatever, that's the actor's call. It shouldn't be the director's call. If something technically wrong with the scene director should say cut what did james dean teach you he told me that you must start doing things and not showing them watching him act i've never in my life seen anybody as good an actor as he was so you know it reminds one of like i mean to me the most important thing that was ever said about creation was raina marie rilke's letters to a young poet where he advises this young poet no matter what kind of poor and indifferent life you have to find poetry in it and you must ask yourself in the stillest moment of your night were denied you to create would you die and if your answer is yes and you have no choice but to be an artist i used to fly around quite a bit you know i took a lot of unnecessary chances and i started racing and uh now i drive on the highways and i'm uh, extra cautious take it easy driving the life you might say might be mine <laughs> <laughs> he was going 70 miles an hour on a highway which is speed limit uh, and uh, when he died and a guy came in from the side turnip seed was his name and he came in at an angle and there was a stop sign there and it was dusk and Jimmy was in a silver Porsche the guy didn't stop for the stop sign hit Jimmy right head on and Jimmy didn't believe in having his seatbelt on and uh, he was killed in this accident but it was actually the other guy's fault because he didn't stop at the stop sign it wasn't Jimmy's fault at all Moving on to the 60s, by this stage you were married and your then-wife, Brooke Hayward, later said that in 1966 you took your first LSD or something. She said that was the beginning of the end. Oh, <laughs> oh really? He well, says dryly. I, I was late taking uh, LSD. I mean, uh, Peter Fon and all the other people had taken acid uh, in the late 50s and in the early 60s, but I didn't take LSD until I got the part of the pusher in the trip. And I thought, man, I can't be the connection, giving out acid and not having taken it, you know. So I, uh, I took a trip, and I had a wonderful trip. Uh, it may have freed me up a little more than uh, my my ex-wife wanted, but um, it was a wonderful experience uh, for me. The trip was like 67 or something, 68. A whole series of endings happened, you know. Martin Luther King killed, Bobby Kennedy killed, Nixon elected, and then you went on to make this... Peter made Wild Angels motorcycle picture, big hit. Then Jack Nicholson made one called Hell's Angels on Wheels, uh, which was another motorcycle picture. And I made one called The Glory Stompers. So we promised each other that we would not do a motorcycle movie because we didn't want to become like singing cowboys or something. I mean, we'd never
never get out of the genre of motorcycles. So Peter calls me at 3 o'clock in the morning, wakes me up, and he says, I had this idea for a film. And I said, what is it? He says, it's a motorcycle picture. I said, well, what is it? What is it? And he said, we get these two big gleaming bikes, and we ride across country, and uh, we have a great time in Mardi Gras, and then we go off into Florida, and uh, we're shot by a couple of duck hunters. I said, I love the idea. I love section of the film there's a trip sequence do you remember that no very well it's primarily based on the gospel according to thomas uh, which is um which is something that was found in the dead sea scrolls uh, in, in 
Easy Rider. Terry Southern didn't write one word of Easy Rider. Not one of his ideas is incorporated in Easy Rider. Terry Southern broke his hip, was unavailable, and the only reason his name is on the screen is because Bert Schneider wanted his name on the screen. The title Easy Rider is Terry Southern's. Beyond that, Peter and I had talked out the whole screenplay, and uh, they were supposed to write it while I was off finding location. I call and find out they haven't written anything. I get a secretary and I dictate the whole screenplay in 10 days and come out with a, not a great masterpiece. And then after that, 80% of the film is improvised. This scene was written. This scene was written by me. So that's the story. And then after that, unfortunately, Terry didn't have, didn't have a percentage of the movie, but when it became famous, then he started calling me and saying, I want a percentage, I want some money, I'm having problems financially. And then he convinced his son, which is really pathetic to me, his son that he had written it. And then on and on, and this has become a big, big thing, and it's been things printed in the New Yorker and all over the place. And it really hurts me. It's one of my really, really prized things that I've done. It has nothing to do with Terry Southern. Absolutely nothing except the title Easy Rider. It's such a thorn in my side, and uh, I mean, did you I, not try to challenge him legally or something before he died? No, he died before I could do that. Famous legacy of this film. It started a new genre: pictures, road movies, etc. And you said this thing: "I am responsible for cocaine taking in the U.S." Well, at the beginning, uh, Peter had it as marijuana, and I said, "Well, we can't, we can't carry enough marijuana and dirt bikes to go anywhere, man. It's not going to really work." And then people suggested heroin, and I said, that's not a great idea at all. I don't want to promote anything that's heroin. I said, what about cocaine? You know? And I'd read that Freud had used it, and I thought, this must be harmless stuff. So, like, why don't we just, we'll, we'll, it's a drug of King's very expensive. We'll do that. And so by introducing cocaine, the year 1969, the movie came out. By 1971, cocaine was everywhere in the street. It was the most prevalent drug in the United States suddenly. And so you must regret that. I, I can't regret anything that happened. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can, you know, I mean, I, I, it's not about regretting, really. It's about, unfor it's an unfortunate uh, thing that happened. I, I mean, I still like the movie. Yeah, me too. Nothing left is all shit. 1970. And here we go. Nearly ended your career. It starts off as a standard Western, but then becomes a movie within a movie. That's Dennis Hopper in 2001 talking. It was scene by scene BBC interview with Mark Cousins. So we've heard a lot about Dennis Hopper tonight. For me as a filmmaker and as an actor and as an artist and as a photographer, I identify with him the craziness. Wanting it to be meaningful. I can so wholeheartedly agree with him and how only the actor should say cut when they're injured. The director, it can be for a technical thing. I, I agree with him right there. 
and the legacy that he left behind. What would he make of the world that we live in today? What would he make it? He'd obviously be on Facebook. He would obviously have an Instagram account. Dennis Hopper was just one of those interesting people. He could do it all. He, he had tapped his foot into each part of it. I found a clip of him. He's in 1999's The the Source, where he does the voice of William S. Burroughs. He knew William S. Burroughs. So that's the other thing is he walked. He Like, like Gore Vidal. Gore Vidal often said, I've walked this world with many different people from Greer Garson to... Eleanor to Paul Newman to Eleanor Roosevelt. No one got the crowds and you got. And so with Dennis Hopper, we can say that Dennis Hopper walked this world with Nick Ray, James Dean, Elizabeth Taylor. Hello. Um, Andy Warhol. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Peter Fonda, John Wayne. Uh, think, think of the people at uh, Natalie Wood. Hello. Think of the people that Dennis Hopper came in contact with and worked with on an artistic level. Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman, who's still with us. Brilliant, brilliant actor. And him and, and him and Dennis, I mean, come on, in Hoosiers. Speed, where he plays the villain. And of course, Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, David Lynch. That is such a legendary performance. He wasn't even nominated for it. The stuff that he tells... Isabella Rossellini to do and then at the same time he's getting oxygen it's disturbing to watch and and that's and that's the beauty of Dennis Hopper is you just couldn't look away it didn't matter if he was because mostly he was playing villains or psychos and then in Hoosier he's playing a coach but see it didn't matter whatever it was you were invested in it because you knew it was Dennis Hopper and what he brought to a role, even even Francis Ford Coppola, Apocalypse Now has such an ensemble cast, if you think about it. Because you've got, you know, uh, Harrison Ford has a brief part. You've got um, uh, Robert Duvall, uh, Martin Sheen. You've got a very young... Uh, what is his name? Um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. I'm trying to think who else is in Apocalypse Now. There's a lot of people in Apocalypse Now. A lot. And Marlon Brando, of course. And Brando and Hop- Hopper knew each other very well. Uh, but Dennis Hopper, he's this crazy photographer... And he is doing Marlon Brando's bidding, okay? He is doing Colonel Kurtz's bidding in Apocalypse Now. When they arrive to the... It's, it's like they're opening the gates of hell. When, they, when the, they arrive on that boat and there's Dennis Hopper to greet them. He's the gatekeeper. <laughs> so, that's the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Honoring this true renaissance man that walked this earth he did music he did film he did spoken word he did painting he did poetry he walked this world with all these different iconic people and he himself was iconic and so tonight the dr zeus film podcast 
I give honor and say a fucking fuck yeah to freedom of expression, to being the the master and commander of that ship. The I mean the counterculture right there, the island of misfit toys. And I wish that we could all channel Dennis Hopper's energy, Dennis the Menace. I urge all of you to go to where Dennis Hopper, his remains are, and just pay tribute. Pay tribute. You could recite the whole monologue from Easy Rider, Unpleasant Dreams. Thank you.